There's been a big push in the metals processing industry, especially in the automotive and aircraft industry, uh, for lightweighting. So you're, you're seeing a lot. You're seeing a lot of components that were originally steel or cast iron being replaced with aluminum or magnesium components, and that, that, that's all great. But in order for that to, to happen and to, and to continue, you need to have very, very high quality, high, very clean metal. I shot lasers at molten metal to figure out what kind of impurities were in them. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio and this installment of Metallurgical Poster Children, where we introduce you to some of the most gifted and promising up-and-coming metallurgists in the heat treat industry. I'm your host, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today. And today we're taking a trip to MIT to visit Seamus Hudson, who just recently joined the MIT team. My name is uh, Seamus Hudson. And what is it that Seamus does at MIT? I'm a technical instructor and lab manager, and I uh, run uh, the material science department's uh, laboratory for physical metallurgy. And so I uh, assist with uh, the research, uh, research in metals, uh, and whoever needs to use uh, our you know, sample preparation, microscopy, mechanical testing, uh, heat treatment, um, heat treatment facilities. Uh, I'm also involved uh, in teaching, uh, teaching the undergraduate uh, laboratory courses. Um, I also help uh, help out with uh, MIT's uh, Foundry and Forge. So just to be clear, this podcast series is called Metallurgical Poster Children, but the professionals we interview are far from being children. Most of them, like Seamus, have advanced degrees in metallurgy and heat treating. Seamus is no exception. Let's get to know Seamus a little more. The first thing we need to address is that name, Seamus. Where in the world did that come from? Well, the, the story goes, is my, my father's name is James, and uh, he, he grew up in, in Massachusetts. And uh, a lot of people ca- often called him Seamus because it's Irish for James. And uh, he really liked that name. He really liked that name. And uh, just when they had me, they they uh, they liked that name for me too. I like it. It's very uh, it's unique. That it is. And Seamus is one very unique guy. Here's a quick review of Seamus's background. Born and raised. Uh, I was born in Concord, Massachusetts, uh, but I was raised in a place called Buena Vista, Virginia. Uh, well, my father is a uh, retired Air Force tech sergeant, and uh, we, for the first couple of years of my life, uh, we lived at uh, Hanscom Air Force Base uh, near near Lincoln, Massachusetts. And then uh, he was ordered to move to Virginia uh, to work in the Air Force ROTC program at uh, VMI, the Virginia Military Institute. And uh, uh, that's where I grew up. How about high school? Oh well, <laughs> uh, I did a, I, I did a lot I did a lot in high school. It was uh, uh, I went to Perry McClure High School. Uh, it was a city high school in in the town, and uh, it was really small. Uh, Three hundred students, nine through twelve. I had a graduating class of seventy one, and uh, but I was uh, gosh, I did a lot of stuff. Looking back, uh, I was in the marching band. Uh, I did uh, cross country. I ran I ran track and field. 
involved in a couple couple clubs, National Honor Society. I gosh, I can't remember what I was, everything I was involved in, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Undergrad work. So uh, for undergrad, I decided to go back to back to the motherland, back to Massachusetts, and uh, I enrolled uh, at MIT in the fall, fall of 2008. Uh, I studied material science and engineering. And why did Seamus choose material science and engineering? If you're a chemical engineer, you might not want to listen to the next 60 seconds. Well, I don't know how it is now, but uh, when I was in high school, I had never heard of material science. I'd never heard of materials engineering or metallurgy or anything like that. What I heard was, you know, all about electrical engineering and mechanical engineering, uh, chemical, civil, environmental. And I thought I was going to go go into chemical engineering. But uh, fortunately, uh, there were a lot of... Uh, department seminars and open sessions and things like that to, to allow the freshmen to know what each department and each major is about. And I fortunately, uh, I quickly found out that chemical engineering wasn't really what I thought it was. No, no offense to the chemical engineers out there, <laughs> but uh, it was more process engineer. It, it didn't go into the basic theory, the basic physics, as much as I wanted to. And and what I thought chemical engineering was, was material science. So it was just, it was, it was an easy fix. Uh, I, I, de- I declared for material science and engineering instead of chemical engineering. And finally, how about grad school? No, I, uh, I wanted to focus more on metallurgy. And uh, I decided to go to WPI, uh, the Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Worcester, Massachusetts. And uh, I uh, did my Ph.D. under uh, Professor Duran Pellian. He runs the, the Metal Processing Institute there. And, uh, we had a very good interview. And, um, yeah, and I, I came uh, in August of 2012. And what exactly did Seamus do during his grad years at WPI? So, in a nutshell, I shot lasers at molten metal to figure out what kind of impurities were in them. And why did he do this? So, as you may or may not know, um, there's been a big push in the metals processing industry, especially in the automotive and aircraft industry, uh, for light weighting. And so you're, you're seeing a lot. You're seeing a lot of components that were originally steel or cast iron being replaced with aluminum or magnesium components. Um, and that, that, that's all great, but in order for that to, to happen and, co- and to continue. You need to have very, very high quality, high, very clean metal. And so when, when we talk about cleanliness, we're talking about oxide inclusions, uh, dissolved, uh, dissolved hydrogen, that, because that causes porosity, um, and to, to a much lesser extent, uh, residual elements, uh, impurity elements, like, like iron. Iron is a very common impurity in, in aluminum. Um, and so there are various ways of measuring cleanliness in, in, in aluminum, but many they're often quite limited. Um, there aren't very many ways uh, that that you can quantify to, to measure cleanliness directly in the molten metal. And so one of our uh, one of our partners in the in the MPI, uh, our lab 
uh, was this company called uh, the Energy Research Research uh, Company, Erco, uh, based in New Jersey, and they uh, they're experts on performing laser spectroscopy on on molten metal, um, and they've developed a lot of really interesting technologies on on doing that, and. Uh, so we approached them for an idea uh, for a project um, on using this laser laser spectroscopy, perform it on molten metal, but use it in a di- slightly different way to pick up inclusions. Um, and that was my PhD, uh, showing that it was indeed possible, um, doing a, you know small lab scale trials, and then ending up. Uh, after four years of this work, we were able to successfully do it in uh, in, uh, in a cast house, a production size cast house. And why is laser measurement for impurities so important? The industry has gotten very good at being able to clean the melt through degassing, through fluxing, and filtration, bunch of a bunch of ways. But a big problem right now is, you know, how do you know when the metal is clean enough to pour? Right, when it's real time. Yeah, how, how do you know that? That's, that's a surprisingly difficult question to answer. Seamus recently had an article published in Diecasting Engineer magazine entitled Laser-Induced Breakdown Spectroscopy, a new tool for real-time metal quality measurement. Seamus co-authored this article with Joseph Creparo, Robert DeSaro, both of the Engineer Research Company in Plainfield, New Jersey, and Ron Apellian, head of the Metal Processing Institute at WPI in Worcester, Massachusetts, where Seamus successfully defended his PhD dissertation. If you'd like to read Seamus's article, you can find a link to it on Heat Tree Today. Search for Seamus Hudson and you should easily find a link to his article. That's Seamus, S-H-A-Y-M-U-S, Hudson. So Seamus, how exactly does this laser spectroscopy work? Are you able to measure a wide swath of the bath, or are you measuring only isolated spots? Uh, That's a a very good question. So what what we've been doing in, in the past is taking a essentially a probe that goes below the, the, the molten metal surface and performing the laser shots in there. So it's truly in situ. And one of, one of the benefits is that you can move this probe side to side. You can do depth profiles within, within a crucible, things like that. But even in an electric holding ladle, there's quite a bit of uh, convection that move, those, that the move and churn those, those oxides, uh, those inclusions in the molten metal. But uh, that, I mean, that's something that that's something you, you have to consider when whenever you're taking a measurement, where you're measuring, how long you're there, are you doing depth, are you doing, doing depth, or are you at one specific spot? That, that's something you that's something you have to consider. Tell me again the name of the company that provides the laser spectroscopy equipment. Uh, the Energy Research Company. And you said they were out of New Jersey, correct? Yes. And are you able to say which foundry or foundries participated? We performed one of the tests at uh, Palmer Foundry in uh, Palmer, Massachusetts, and uh, they've been uh, they've been extremely helpful and extremely interested uh, in the in uh, what we've been doing. Uh, but 
our casting center uh, has a membership consortium of uh, quite a few different uh, primary aluminum producers, uh, end users, cast houses, alloy developers, things like that. And so our that consortium leverages our project. So there's from the get-go, there was immediate uh, industrial interest. So it sounds like there were a good number of cast houses involved with the project. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about your heat treat experience. So uh, in addition to uh, my time as a PhD student at WPI, uh, I was also the lab manager for the for our experimental foundry. And so that had multiple projects on alloy developments, uh, my project on clean aluminum, uh, and others. So we often had to do quite a few, you know, T6 heat treatments uh, on, al- on aluminum, both in a typical electrical resistance furnace, but also in uh, fluidized bed furnaces. But, but also in our, me- in our metal processing institute, we have a, a, a center for heat treat excellence. I've been able to sit in on some of their presentations. They're doing very, very interesting stuff on gas quench, gas quench work, inductive heating, uh, and, and whatnot, but primarily with steels. So there, there was a little bit of a, a barrier, but very, very interesting nonetheless. So you defended your PhD thesis and graduated from WPI when? Uh, I very recently, actually, I defended my PhD in April. Congratulations! Uh, yep, and then uh, I had my uh, a couple of weeks later, I uh, I my I had my wedding in Worcester. Oh, and congratulations again! Thank you, thank you, and yeah, it was it was it was a busy uh, it was a busy spring. <laughs> and now you are at MIT. Uh, I just started last week. Um, I'm currently I'm a technical instructor and lab manager, and I uh, run uh, uh, material science department's uh, laboratory for physical metallurgy. And so I assist with the research, uh, research in metals, uh, and whoever needs to use our uh, you know, sample preparation, microscopy, mechanical testing, uh, heat treatment. Key treatment facilities. Uh, I'm also involved uh, in teaching, teaching the undergraduate uh, laboratory courses. I also help uh, help out with uh, MIT's uh, foundry and forge. I assume that most of what is being done is more academic than industrial. It's uh, mostly academic. For the forge and foundry, uh, we uh, we do a lot of uh, artisanal uh, bronze casting and aluminum casting. We also do. We also have uh, quite a few forges for artisanal blacksmithing. So we we have coal forges. Recently had a uh, recently acquired a uh, hydraulic press and a couple other more advanced forging equipment, which I'm very excited for. What type of heat treat equipment is available there at MIT? We have quite we have quite a bit of uh, very good equipment. Uh, tube furnaces for uh, inert gas inert atmosphere or vacuum experiments. We are in the middle of acquiring a, uh, a vacuum furnace as well, and uh, several box, several you know, electric resistance box furnaces. The, you know, our fair complement of uh, ho- uh, fume hoods for those kinds of experiments. 
several uh, several ball mills. Uh, there's been a lot of really interesting work going on in powder metallurgy very recently. So we're trying to uh, assist with a faculty in that. Is that primarily in compacting and centering of green parts, or are you talking about the initial production of the metal powder? Uh, mostly in the green bodies and centering. We have a we have a very research core in uh, grain boundary engineering, uh, nano crystalline alloys. Uh, we've recently got a, a new professor who's an expert on high entropy alloys. High entropy alloys, huh? Interesting. Yeah, alt metallic glasses uh, and whatnot. Very very exotic. Very very exotic physical metallurgy, uh, but. Things that are very much they're very much the cutting edge. I also we also have you know our, the our complement of you know sample preparation, polishing equipment. One of the hot buttons these days is 3D or additive manufacturing. Much going on at MIT in that field. Oh yeah, some of the uh, some of the original 3D printing work was done at was done at MIT. At least uh, Jim Brent. Uh, he's, he's an affiliate, an alum, an alum of MIT and an affiliate. Uh, he's involved with, uh, with a comp- a small company called Viridis 3D and they're developing, um, 3D printed sand molds for the metal casting, for the metal casting industry. And very, uh, also very recent spin out of, uh, MIT called Form Labs. They do a polymer 3D printing, but they're developing resins that are specifically tailored for lost wax testing. So you can, so you essentially, you can print not only your part, the entire gating system and the the spruce system, all in one, all in one go. You don't have to manually fix that, fix them with sticky wax. How about MIT's involvement directly with industry? MIT has a, an industrial liaison program uh, that I am aware of where uh, if an industry has a specific need, the liaison program will help them match with specific faculty that could help them. There are similar sort of industry-university partnerships in other departments and uh, other research laboratories, but I, I know it's they have quite a bit of engagement with the, the silicon wafer industry, uh, integrated circuits, uh, and electronics, but uh, at least more towards mechanical engineering and material science. Um, I'm certain there are, but uh, I'm not aware of them right now because I haven't been here for that long. Any thoughts you'd like to share with young people who might be considering a career in the sciences? Well... What really, really got me into metallurgy was being was from blacksmith and metal casting. Being able to bend metal, you know, with your own hands. You can't really. There aren't very many other fields that allow you to really do that. Uh, to be very, very hands-on and get your hands literally dirty. <laughs> uh, I really, I really, really enjoyed that, and that's what drew me toward towards metallurgy. I, I think that I think it sometimes does get a bad rap because it's such an old field. And uh, it's, it's some people call it a mature field and I, I highly disagree. There are a lot of unsolved problems in in 
metals processing and in metallurgy that uh, that we need our, our, our brightest minds to look at. Such as, do you have one of those unsolved problems that jumps immediately to mind? Um, well, I mean, one of the biggest problems, at least for, for light metals, is to get them to work at higher temperatures. Aluminum melts at 660 Celsius, and many alloys become useless. Aluminum alloys become useless at, you know, relatively high temperatures, you know, 300 to probably 500 Celsius. And there's a big, big push in, especially in the automotive industry, to create uh, aluminum alloys that are, uh, uh, that work at high temperatures so that we can have more efficient car engines. More efficient engines means lower, uh, you know, better gas mileage, lower fuel consumption. It's better for the planet. Another big unsolved problem that uh, that sort of comes to mind uh, came from a time when I was an undergrad at, at MIT. Um, MIT has a very big uh, program in uh, plasma sciences and fusion, um, and they they have one of the largest uh, tokamak fusion reactors uh, on this side of the Atlantic. I asked uh, a grad student who who was working there. And what and I asked him like I always I always hear about fusion being being uh, you know ten years out. It's like we're going to crack it. We're going to crack it. We're going to be able to do it. And it's like what's keeping us from from getting there? And I thought it was very very good answer to that 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 question was. Imagine we have an engine. We have the spark plug, but we don't know what to make the engine out of because you're having a reactor that's millions of degrees. Celsius and high magnetic fields and extreme, you know, corrosion occurring. What in the world do you make the container out of? And so there's a lot of, you know, high tech like niobium and tantalum and tungsten metallurgy that uh, that you need to do. So you know, if you if if you can figure that out and actually be able to make that container, you know, it's a it's a really big step forward for for fusion power all right Seamus let's let's now let's get a bit personal are you a Mac or a PC guy I'm totally a PC guy <laughs> Macintosh they look very nice I, I, I appreciate their hardware performance and their you know their aesthetics and beautiful design love it but I'm a PC person mainly because of the ease of the software that I use. You're a 26-year-old guy, right? How do you consume information in print or digitally? Uh, at least for for research and whatnot, um, I, I I gotta have the paper copy in front of me. I got I'm more of a print kind of person in that regard. I, I don't know. I, I need that. I need I need to be able to have the book in my hands. And be able to look at it and you know, uh, you know, highlight it or, or make notes in the margins, you know, things like that. But for ease of storage, I always keep an electronic copy, so I can always print it. I can always print it when needed. And what resources do you use to keep current? Um, well, right now I'm a member of uh, ASM and uh, ASM and, and TMS. I uh, through many, many of their journals through JOM. MAP, as uh, from from my time as a PhD, I, uh, I was more uh, interest, 
more into uh, uh, the AFS, uh, American Founder Society. So inter- uh, Modern Casting Magazine, Na- uh, some of the NADCA publications, North American Die Casting Association. If you could choose, and you're not necessarily able to, would you prefer a job that is high paying or a job with highly flexible work hours? Well, I think I would. I think I would go more towards the flexible work schedule. I mean, if if you're paying, if you're paid really well for a for a job that you don't like, I mean, it's not going to be that enjoyable. Um, I would rather, I would rather, I'd rather have the opposite. I'd rather be paid a little less, but love my job because that makes it, that makes it worthwhile. And what would be your ideal dream job? Teach. I I absolutely love to teach. Um, and you know, teach at a university level, um, some sort of, so more in the realm of a, of a teaching professor, or a lecturer, lecturer, um, and be able to be able to really engage with 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 the with the students because you know that's where that's where we get that that's where the engagement really needs to start. Um, if we if you want to get people interested in metals and engineering and science, you got you got to start earlier. You got to start early and uh, you know get them hooked. Yeah, I think that's you know. Uh, that's something I, I absolutely love to do, and I, I really want to see myself doing uh, in the future. How about your favorite free time activity? <laughs> um, well, my wife and I we do. We definitely enjoy going to the movies. Um, we, yeah, we keep uh, uh, we keep a ticket stub uh, of uh, most of the movies that we've gone together. Uh, I think we're we're around thirty five, thirty six so far. But uh, I also I also enjoy um, this might be a sort of a strange hobby I suppose but um, uh, I also I enjoy collecting uh, actually old te- old uh, engineering textbooks. Really, I do. Yeah, I have I have a, you know I, I grew up I grew up in, uh, in a rural part of Virginia. Um, a lot of a lot of history in that area from the Civil War, the Colonial Era. And uh, I, you know, I, I sort of gravitated to to like his, to history and you know old things in general. Um, I still on my keychain I have uh, I have the uh, the original key to the front door uh, of the house I grew up in. It was an old. It was, you, know, you could tell it was sandcast too. <laughs> the people the people that currently live there might find that a bit creepy, don't you think? Oh well, my my parents still live there, actually. So, <laughs> well, that's okay then. They probably they probably don't find that so creepy. Seamus, thanks so much for joining us, and best of luck to you. Thank you for having me. That wraps up our interview with Seamus Hudson of MIT. If you're interested in talking with Seamus, please feel free to contact me at Doug at HeatTreatToday.com, and I'll be glad to put you in touch with Seamus. If you'd like more Heat Treat Radio, including more of this series on metallurgical poster children, please visit our website at www.heattreattoday.com and click on Heat Treat Radio. Visit the website frequently. We post one Heat Treat news or technology item nearly every weekday. 
Our content is targeted at manufacturers with in-house heat treat departments, especially in the aerospace, automotive, medical, and energy sectors. Visit us at www.heattreattoday.com. And finally, if you have a specific topic you'd like to see covered on Heat Treat Radio, or if you know of another metallurgical poster child you'd like to see interviewed, please contact me directly at Doug at HeatTreatToday.com. Heat Treat Radio podcasts are the sole property of Heat Treat Today and cannot be reproduced without permission and appropriate attribution. This episode of Heat Treat Radio was produced and mixed by Jonathan Condon, Butler, Pennsylvania. My name is Doug Glenn. Thanks for joining us.